Amen. You can have a seat. Wow. I, I love the declaration of that song. The simple declaration that, that Jesus' love is great. It is far beyond anything uh, else that the world could offer, anything else that the world could offer. It's, it's the greatness of his love. And I just, I'd love standing back there and just praying and, and, and singing along with you guys that simple, profound truth that Jesus' love is great. It is absolutely great. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning, so flip there. Um, if you're new here, uh, welcome. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here at Grace Southwood. And uh, who's liking the weather? Oh, man, it is absolutely, this is like the perfect temperature. So enjoy it while it lasts. It'll be about 10 minutes, and then it'll be back to 90. So don't worry, people. Uh, those of you that love the heat, it's coming quick. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that Jesus, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. But if you've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united him with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we also have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for these profound truths found in this this passage of Scripture. I thank you for the book of Romans and how it has literally revolutionized the lives of thousands, millions of people throughout the generations. And so, Lord, I pray that those of us right now that feel locked in sin patterns might find freedom that Paul talks about in here, that we are new in Christ. We are raised to walk in new life. And so, Lord, I pray for those that feel locked in the bonds of sin, they might experience freedom through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. So please, Lord, open our hearts and minds to those realities that we might be free. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, years ago, I watched uh, a movie uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio back when he was a thing. Uh, not so much anymore, but, but back in the 90s, early 2000s, like he was a thing. And, uh, and so there was a, he was in every movie. And one movie that came out was um, The Man in the Iron Mask. And it's a story about a, a king, a young king who was, who was corrupt in, in France. And there was the three musketeers, the musketeers that would guard the king. And, and, but this king was such um, a pain and, and doing so many wicked things that the musketeers came up with a, an idea and a plan. They, they heard that uh, the king had a twin brother. And that that twin brother, because the the mom didn't want the kingdom to be divided by two twin brothers, she sent one to live um, alone on a farm and grow up alone, not knowing that he was from the the line of royalty. But when this, this king got a little bit older, he realized that his brother was out there and that he opposed a threat to the kingdom. 
And so he took his brother, who was, who was young at the time, put an iron mask on him, and sent him to prison to live the rest of his life, no one being able to recognize the face of this other heir to the kingdom. And so the story goes on, the movie goes on, and, and you don't really hear much about that young boy, but you do see the corruption of this king. And so these three musketeers, they get together, and they hear this story. That there is another rightful king that's, that's hidden, that's, that's, uh, that's imprisoned for nothing that he did just because of how he was born. And so what they decide to do is rescue him out of prison. And they bring him um, to a new place. And they rescue him out. They, they, they smuggle him in. And they bring him to like this little, uh, this little apartment complex thing that they're sitting in. And, and they immediately see him and they take off the mask for the first time. It had been decades since he had taken off the mask. They took off the mask for the first time. And his hair is all matted and grown over his face. Leonardo does not look as cute as he normally does, right? Very sad times. And, uh, and his beard is overgrown. And just, it just is, he's, he's disgusting looking. And so they said, let's bring in the barber. Let's bring in the help. And so they start bringing in different people to, to kind of trim his hair and, and, to, and to give him a shave and, and wash him from head to toe. And they start making him look more kingly on the outside. And they even bring in royal robes to put on him. And so they completely transformed this young man and they stick him in front of a mirror. And as he stands there in front of the mirror, the, the, the musketeers stand behind him and they say, you're the king. And when that young man looks into that mirror, terror seizes him. And he runs back away from these men. And they're like, what are we going to do? Like, he was our hope to, to usurp this old kingdom and to put in a new king. And so he runs back and they go eventually and they find this young man. And he's sitting in the, in the fetal position in the back of one of these rooms. And he's put the mask back on. And in that moment, you realize really quickly... You can rescue a person in a moment. You can take a slave out of his situation in a moment. You can. But it takes a lot longer to take the slavery out of the person. See, they, he got locked into a pattern. He got locked into an identity. He got locked into um, a, a bit of even a safety. That, that, that prison almost felt safer to him than the realities that he was going to be walking into. And so he even, sadly, in this little moment in this movie, preferred the being locked as a slave than walking in the freedom and the opportunity that these men were aligning or opening up for him. And the reason I start there is because I think that is the exact issue that Paul is raising in this chapter. He's saying this, you can save a person in a moment, but it takes a lot longer to remove the slavery, the sin, the power that has been oppressing a person. It takes a lot longer. I think for many of us, we have been locked into paths, negative ways of thinking and negative ways of behaving. And for some of us, we honestly think that we can't ever get out of them. In fact, the reason I say that is because the question that is asked of Paul is the same question that many of us ask. And he's really saying this. Sorry, you could download the version uh, app. You should. Um, <laughs> he's saying some of us, you get locked into these patterns of sin and you go from failure to failure and you never actually live in freedom. And we ask questions like this that show that we are actually on a broken path. We say this, verse 1, what shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so here's the question. Okay, if God, Jesus Christ, has literally died to forgive every one of our sins, if all of that is covered, can't we just live however we want? Like, if, if, if I'm forgiven, if every sin I commit is actually forgiven by Christ, and if that's true, which it is true, can't we just live however we want? And you've probably had that question. I mean, you've probably even made that statement where you've done something wrong and and you know that it's wrong. You know that I I should not have done that. And you walk along, you're like, well, it's forgiven. I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven, right? Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And and we kind of like gloss over the mistakes that we've made by saying, okay, well, God's grace, doesn't it cover all of my sins? Yes, it does. But then he asks this question. By no means. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's like, why would we want to live there, though? If we're dead to sin, why would we want to live in it? So here's what ends up happening in a lot of our lives. What happens before we have a relationship with Christ is we have broken desires. Those deep longings, those deep wants in our life and being that are actually wrong. They're broken. We love the wrong things. And the Bible doesn't, isn't, isn't uh, pulling any punches on that. So the bottom line is this. Sin, all sin is this. A desire for what's wrong. Like lust, anger, everything. It's this desire that's deep within me, that's deep within you, that's for the wrong thing. And those wrong desires, those broken desires, lead to broken decisions. So we make, out of these wrong desires that are in our hearts and lives, we make decisions that are also broken. And when you stack those decisions up, we end up being in a destination of brokenness. So wrong desires lead to the wrong decisions that lead to a broken destination. So here's the way I would describe it. We have a wrong desire. And each decision you make is basically like a brick that's building up on top of that desire. So you have this this wrong desire, and this wrong desire may be like an inappropriate lust or an inappropriate anger or inappropriate pride. And and that inappropriate, that wrong desire that you have that's, that's broken in some way has caused us to make decisions. So the way that we treat people, the way that we view people, the way that we interact with our computer or not act with our computer, the way that we tweet, you know, like all sorts of decisions that we make And at the end of the day, they end up stacking on top. And you've got multiple wrong desires that stack up on top of each other. And eventually, you live in the house of disappointments. Like, that's what ends up happening. (laughs) All of these bricks basically build to where you live. And when you see these bad decisions from these bad desires go on long enough, you live in the destination, the city of despair. And it's true. And here's the most profound statement I heard years and years ago, and it's basically this. You are unique, but your situation is not. You're special. You're a snowflake. But your situation is not. And the bad decisions you make are the same bad decisions that lots of people have made. And you end up in a place that you would never want to be. It's a path of brokenness. It's sin's broken path. And he says, why would you want to live there? Why would you want to follow this broken path to build this broken life that leads in this broken destination? 
But I think for a lot of us, we feel, honestly, like a, like a hamster on a wheel. Like, we don't know how to live differently. In fact, I'll give you even another example. I'll say it this way. For many of us, we feel like our past has defined our future. But let me tell you this. Your bad decisions, our bad decisions, my bad decisions, have led me to the place that I am. Your past does determine your present. But your past does not need to determine your future. There's another statement that I I, want to give you guys, and uh, you can tweet it, write it down. It's also very hurtful. The common denominator of all your problems is you. Every bad decision that was made that affected you or that you made yourself, you were a party to. You were there when your friends made that bad decision and you followed along. You were there and a participant in every bad decision you ever made. And I'm saying some of you are legitimate victims. And so that wrong was done to you. And I'm so sorry. But, but there is something within you that enabled that victimhood to stay and to stay locked in. We're a participant in every bad decision we make. But let me tell you, it doesn't have to determine your future. You ever known how they train elephants to ride them? They start out with a baby elephant. And baby elephants are weak and small. And they get a small uh, rope and they tie that elephant to a stake into the ground. And so this is a baby elephant tied to a tree. And so the elephant know, learns from a young age that, that I'm too weak to ever break free from the power of this rope. And eventually, when the elephants get older, they could get a much smaller chain, a much smaller rope, get a bunch of them together and tether them to really nothing, yet hold them still. Because they've been conditioned to believe that they aren't strong enough to live differently. And here's what sin does in all of our lives. It tricks us. It makes us think that there's no other way that we can live. And so we use all sorts of excuses. And our culture uses all sorts of excuses to describe this. They say, it was my upbringing. It's my culture. It's my mistakes of my past. It's my mental state. It's my Irish anger. It's my Latin passion. You know, like all of those different things that we point to, we can say, it's something that's in my past that shaped my future. And so what we end up doing is getting locked into ways of living and ways of behaving. And we say to ourselves, shouldn't we just sin? God's got it covered. And he says, look, what you're building is a house that you don't want to live in. So I want to show you a better way. I want to show you how you can actually live in freedom from all the sins. So he goes on in verse 3 to say it this way. There is freedom first from sin's power. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ has been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And he uses the analogy of baptism. Baptism, the way we practice it here at Grace Bible Church, and the way that that he is um, describing it in this passage is this. That baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. 
It's an outward symbol. So when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we say, okay, great. You need to be baptized. And we come and we bring you to a place where there's water. Sometimes it's a pool. Sometimes it's a tub. uh, Sometimes it's something else. So you you go to an area of water and we baptize you and we say this. You've been buried with Christ in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And it's it's a physical symbol of an inward reality. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your old self dies. All of those old sin patterns, all of those old desires, all of those evils that within you, they are buried with Christ and dead and destroyed with him. And you are positionally righteous. You have union with Christ. And like he went into the grave for three days and rose in victory over Satan's sin and death, your sin And your sin nature, your sin desires have been killed and buried with Christ. He goes on to say it this way. The first is buried, but secondly, he says this. We know that our old self, those old desires, that old man that rears up, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that it would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. He gives another imagery. Not only have you been buried with Christ, your old self You've also been crucified with Christ. Those old desires have been nailed to the cross of Christ. So it's not merely the sins that you do. It's those desires that have been nailed to the cross. Those desires of sin have been, have been the power of them has been removed. The power of them has been removed. 8 9 says it this way. Now if you believe, if you have been, if you've died with Christ... We believe we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over you. Dominion means power. He's saying if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the power of sin over you has been killed and destroyed. That means right now, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the power of sin no longer has a hold on you. That sin nature has been killed with Christ. This is new thinking that we need to adopt and believe. Do you believe the power of sin has been removed? It has been in Christ with your union with him. But not only, the, firstly, the power of sin. Secondly, the slavery of sin. We are actually freed from the slavery that sin causes. Verse 15 says it this way. We know then. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Yes, another question. Are we to sin now because we're not under the law? We don't have to obey the Mosaic Covenant, and that's true. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the law will not put you in right relationship with God. It's belief. It's faith alone in Christ alone that puts you in right relationship with God. You don't have to obey the law in order to be in right relationship with God. But then he asks this question. Do you not know, do you know that, not know, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have been come obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. He says this, You are a slave to who you serve. 
All sin is slavery. Jesus says it this way. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Tim Keller has a book, um, commentary on Romans, and he quotes this writer. I think it's so powerful. Let this sink in. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Isn't that powerful? See, sin is slavery. It holds you to it. And you can say, like, no, no, no. Looking at pornography is not enslaving. It's not. It's not, it's not holding on to me. Well, can you not? And if you can't not, then it's slavery. Hey, my anger, it's not slavery. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just passionate. I get, I get angry at people. Yeah, yeah. But, but can you not get angry and blow up at people? If you can, it's, it's slavery. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm just a little bit of an anxious person. I, I just worry a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, but can you not worry? No then it's slavery. It's holding you. Sin has this power over us, and in, in, in reality, it enslaves us, and you become obedient to it. You let that play out over and over and over again in your lives. And the real issue is this. It's, it's got something in your heart. And you can't just fix your heart. There's something deep within us that's broken, and so we become enslaved to it. It's internal slavery of our desires. It's, I want the wrong thing. I want what actually destroys me. And here's the tragedy. Some of us feel like we can cope with these failures, and we don't really get to the root of these failures. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says... He says, here's the reason why you've actually really got to cope with these deep problems that are within all of us. He says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy, are gradually getting worse. So gradually that they, the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolutely hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true. Hell is precisely correct technical term for what it would be. Isn't that interesting? If we are enslaved to sin, what that means is that sin will continue to grow. And that sin will continue to produce. And everyone, everyone's an eternal being. Everyone is eternal. You've never walked past a mere mortal. Everyone's eternal. And if that anger lets, is able to grow for all of eternity, it will continue to grow and continue to consume you. If that rage continues to grow, if that jealousy continues to grow, it will grow for all of eternity, and it will be very, very dark. And those desires have to be dealt with. And Jesus says, yes, I've, I've, I've taken the power of that. 
But I've also taken away the slavery of that. How? By changing your heart. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. He says, look, there's, there's slavery either way. There's a slavery that will produce death and destruction in your relationships and every part about you. But there's also a slavery that will produce life and hope. There are two paths. And if you put your faith alone in Christ alone, you are able to pursue the path of righteousness. You are actually able to do it. But the problem is, even though the power has been removed, even though we're no longer enslaved to that way of thinking and those, that, those ways of acting, here's what ends up happening. Many of us don't allow Christ to renew our desires. And when it ends up happening is we get stuck into ruts. I read this article um, earlier this week. A 17-year-old boy driving a pickup truck damaged at least 200 yards of trail at Hawk Ridge this week when he drove onto the trail and got stuck and required help of another vehicle, which he got stuck. The May 5th incident left large tire ruts in the land, and uh, the 17-year-old boy was sad. (laughs) Anyone have a truck? Anyone go mudding? Tell the truth. Oh, y'all are all liars, liars. Texas A&M, you've had a friend that went mudding. They're like, let's go drive here. What's going to happen? This. Like, this is what's going to happen in front of you. And what ends up happening for a lot of our lives is that we have a way of thinking and a way of behaving. And we're like, that looks fun. I haven't done that before. Yes, you have. I know, but it'll be different this time. Sure it will. And we go off the rails, and we start going, and we create big ruts, and we get stuck. And let me tell you, a lot of us, sin has created a pattern in your life that has to be uprooted. Because you have a way of thinking and a way of behaving that has been destructive for you. Guys, let me just be very honest with you guys. It's because you always fall to the same issues in pornography. You fall to the same way, the same time. You're like, this week's going to be different. It was the same week. You know, it's like those ruts. Ladies, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's another issue. Maybe it's a way of thinking, a way of viewing yourself. Maybe it's an anxiety issue. Maybe it's a a depression issue of, of you get yourself into thinking and behaving and isolating yourself. And it's the same pattern every single time. And you're like, why do I feel so alone? Why am I all alone? Why is no one around me? Why does no one want me? Why do people not want me? Why is no one around? And you're like, you have made so many decisions To bring you to this place. And why does no one care? Because no one can care, right? I mean, I I used this analogy a little while ago, but my my, my three-year-old daughter, she came downstairs and she was stomping and screaming and yelling. and, And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, no one will play with me! You know, just like screaming. And I'm like, no one wants to play with you, baby. Like, no one wants to be here in this. I don't want to be here. I know your brothers don't want to be here. And she, like, just couldn't get it out of her mind. Like, everything I'm doing is creating a space where I am not free. I'm locked into this pattern of loneliness. And I'm telling you, so many of us get locked into these patterns and these paths. 
But in Christ, you've been set free from sin's power and sin's slavery. You don't have to live there. There is freedom. You don't have to repeat the same failures over and over again. And so Paul says, okay, let me tell you, let me show you, not only what you have positionally in Christ, but some practical ways to walk in freedom. There is a path to life. There's a cycle to this. It says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, but just as you, were, as you once presented your members, your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting when at that time from things you which are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He says, well, here's what should happen. You, you have renewed desires. If you put your faith in Christ, you actually have the desire to follow Christ. You actually have the desire to follow the the, the, a righteous way of life. You have new desires in you. And you can make new decisions. And you can end up in a new destination. And here's how he says I want you to do it. I want you to ask yourself two questions in every situation that you encounter. And here's the first question. All right? See if you can see it. If you have a Bible, I would underline it. In every situation where you're tempted to make bad decisions, ask yourself this question. Verse 21. But what fruit... Were you getting at the time from which of the things in which you are now ashamed? Here's another way to frame it. What was that life producing? As you think about sin patterns, ask yourself this question before you step in front of your computer, before you start letting all those thoughts consume you. Ask yourself this question. If I go down this road... What is going to be produced? If I sit in front of my computer, alone, in my dorm room, what is it going to produce? If I let these thoughts of loneliness consume me, what is it going to produce? If I let these thoughts of anger or jealousy consume me, what is the end goal? What is it actually going to produce? And he says, what it has produced in the past is shame. It's produced shame. All sin leads to death. Not just the punishment that you deserve, but death of relationships, death of passion, death of intimacy. All sin leads to the same pattern. He says, so, so, so ask yourself this question what will it actually produce? Where is this going? And then he has to ask a second question. But now that you've been set free from sin and have been becoming slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and the end eternal life. He says, look, when you start making decisions to follow and honor God with your life, it will produce fruit in your life. That's beautiful. It's joyful. And you can make these decisions. So you can ask yourself the next question. If I honor God in this decision, what will it produce? And it becomes very easy to look at that and go like, okay, so I ask myself two simple questions. What will be produced by the following, by following God in this decision? What will, what will happen? Well, Kevin, okay, I, I just don't know that that'll work. Well, can I give you an example from me this week? If you have a Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 5. 
I don't know who Proverbs chapter 5 is going to help, but I tell you what, this helped me this week. Because I had some thoughts that I needed to take captive. I had some sin within me that needed to be uprooted. And so I literally went to Proverbs 5 and I said, God, you've got to help me to love what's right and not what's wrong. Proverbs 5 is a father talking to his son. He says this, My son, be attentive to, attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. He says, verse 3, you know what? My son, sin looks good. It looks good. You have a desire for what's wrong. He says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. She step, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. See, this action will lead to destruction, and you don't even know it. it goes on to verse set eight. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near her, lest you give your honor to others in your years to the merciless. He says, here's the path. You're going to lose your honor and you're going to lose your strength. Why run from this sin? Because it's going to, you're going to lose honor and you're going to lose strength. Strangers will take their fill of your strength and your labors. and the end of your life, you will groan and your flesh and body be consumed. And you'll say, how I hated discipline. How I hated reproof. Like, I didn't listen to the people that said, don't run down this path. Don't continue doing this. And you're going to come to the end of the road and be like, you're going to live a life of regret. And then he goes on in the bottom of this passage and says, instead, no words ending. But know what you've been given. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad into the streets? He's like, look, I've given you a source of life. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Kevin, I've given you a wife to love and to pursue. You fight for freedom. I've given you a healthy alternative. For some of you, you go, I don't have a wife of my youth. I am young and I'd like a wife. How does that help me? You can trust God's provision now. First Peter 5, if you struggle with impatience... It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, here's your action. You want to know your future. You want to know what's coming next, and you're angry that you don't know. You're, you're frustrated about that. And he says, young man, humble yourself under God that in his timing he'll exalt you. And when you have anxieties and frustrations, you throw all of those on God. And let me tell you, that verse has saved my life so many times when I get frustrated about the pace of change. Verse 
or disappointments. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, you take that anxiety, you take that frustration, and you kneel to me, and you cast it on me, and you say, God, command what you will, but will what you command. And you say, all right, Lord, I'm going to follow your path. And in due time, God will reveal the new destination. So I'll give you some things to think about as we close. First, what destructive patterns are you locked into in your life? Secondly, where are they leading? Thirdly, what healthy freedom can you walk into with Christ? This is why table discussion is so important. As you go after this time, you're going to be able to dig into some of those deep issues. And I pray, I hope, that you'll be honest enough to vocalize some of those things so that the body of Christ can come around you and help you walk in freedom. We pray for us. Lord, thank you for your grace on our lives. And thank you that you have freed us from the power of sin, from the slavery of sin. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that don't resign ourselves to walk in sin and run to the things that are that are holding us captive. But we would actually be willing to say, Lord, I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in new life. Help me to understand that the power of sin has been removed. The slavery of sin can be broken if we trust in you, Jesus Christ, and begin walking along your path. So Lord, as we go to discussion after this, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open and vulnerable that the body of Christ would come around us that we might walk in freedom and newness of life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.